Lord Jesus, please use the words I speak, the thoughts that are in our minds to speak to us through Scripture. We ask this in your name. Amen. I find that one of the frightening things about being a parent is you find yourself saying things that your parents said to you when you were a kid that you swore you would never say, right? But you have kids of your own and suddenly you start channeling your mom and dad. And one of the things I just hated when I was a kid was when my mom or dad would tell me to do something and I'd say, well, why should I? And they would say, any guesses? Because I said so. Oh, I hated that. But now I use that phrase constantly with my own kids. I, I figure it's better than Bill Cosby's line, because I'm your father and I brought you into this world and I can take you out. It's better than that one, right? Not that I haven't thought that one. Now, I know why my parents said, because I told you to, because there were a thousand good reasons to, to obey them, but it's just too complicated to explain them all, so you just end up saying, because I told you to. Do you ever wonder if it's the same with God? He tells us to do certain things and we say, well, why should I? And you just got to wonder if sometimes God wants to say, because I told you to. Today I'm talking about verse number nine of the 10 verses that can change your life. And the verse today contains three life-changing words that I want to focus on. Jesus is Lord. That was the first creedal statement of the early church. Long before the Apostles' Creed or catechisms, early Christians described their faith in three simple words, Jesus is Lord. And that was a dangerous phrase. Because back then there was another similar phrase people used that said, Caesar is Lord. So to say Jesus is Lord was radically counterculture and it could get you killed. And it did. But Christians kept saying it anyway, Jesus is Lord. And I think we American Christians have lost the significance of those three, those three words. We say it, Jesus is my Savior and Lord, but I think we're a little more into the Savior part than the Lord part, aren't we? Most of our prayers are probably Savior kinds of prayers. Jesus, save me, help me, give me kinds of prayers. But we're not as keen on the Lord part. I mean, when was the last time you prayed, Lord, give me a command so I can obey it? Right? The truth is we have a Lord and it's not Jesus, it's ourselves. A friend of ours has a four-year-old girl who every night kept getting out of bed to play. So our friend said, well, why don't you ask Jesus to help you stay in bed? And the little girl said, I do. And he tells me to go to sleep, but my head keeps saying, play, play, play. <laughs> Good thing we outgrow that rebellious streak, isn't it? We do the same thing. Jesus says, forgive others. Serve in my name. Don't gossip. And we say, well, why should I? Let me answer that. Because he told you to. Because Jesus is Lord. But he's also something else. So let me give you three other words that can also change your life. Jesus loves you. And those two phrases, Jesus loves you and Jesus is Lord, they need to go together. Because you see, if your premise is that Jesus doesn't love you, that he's just out to keep you from having fun and make your life miserable, well then of course you don't want to do what he says to do, right? Because of uh, some of my wife's early religious background, when we first got married, she had this image of God that he was just out to get us. 
And so sometimes she'd say, you know, I've never really suffered much in my life, so I bet God's going to make something terrible happen to me so I can suffer and develop character. And she figured the thing that God was going to do was kill me. I don't know how I got drugged into this. <laughs> so sometimes she would jokingly say, do you think if we got a dog and I pretended to really, really like the dog, God would take the dog instead? I said, I don't think that's going to work that way. Now, since then, Christina has moved away from that view of God, presumably not because she's decided she really is suffering by being married to me. (laughs) But if your starting premise is that God is out to get you, well, then you don't want to obey him. But if your starting premise is that Jesus loves you, well, then that means that the things he tells us to do must be for our good. Did you hear me, church? If it is true that Jesus loves you, and he does, he died to prove it, well, then it logically follows that what he tells us to do is meant to give us joy, not make us miserable. And since he's the one who made us, don't you think he knows better than we do what's going to give us joy and what isn't? As I've said to you before, manufacturers of my car say to put oil in the engine. Now, I could put chocolate syrup in it instead. Why not? I run just fine on chocolate syrup. But it wouldn't be very good for the car. Right? The makers of the car know better. Jesus made us. He knows better than we do what will truly give us joy and what won't. And that just flies in the face of our independent, if it feels good, do it culture, doesn't it? Back in the 70s, there was a popular song called You Light Up My Life. And it had this cheesy line in it. It can't be wrong if it feels so right. Well, of course it could. (laughs) Right? I mean, there's a whole host of things that can feel good for a time, but end up being very, very destructive. You know, it would have felt good to my kids to eat all of their Halloween candy in one sitting, but it would have made them sick. And then there are all kinds of things that we want to do that, that, that seem good, and actually they are kind of good. They're sort of good, but they're not God's best, which is what the word sin originally means, to miss the bullseye. And Jesus loves us so much, he doesn't want us to do things that hurt us or cause us to settle for second best. That's why he tells us to forgive others. Not to make us miserable, but so that we're not eaten alive with rage and resentment and bitterness. That's why he says don't lie, because that destroys the fabric of trust. Plus, you've got to keep track of all the lies you've told. He says safe sex for marriage, not because he's your Aunt Tilly out to keep you from having fun, but because he wants us to have great sex. It's one of his best gifts. It's meant to be the place where we can be truly transparent, physically, emotionally, spiritually. But the thing is, you can't give yourself to someone like that and have them leave. So if you don't have a rock-solid commitment that that person isn't going to walk out on you, you'll always be holding something back. And sex becomes less than God intended it to be. And each time we do that, we give a little bit less and a little bit less So that the thing that was meant to be the one place where we could be completely ourselves becomes the one place that we have to hide. And then we get all kinds of anxieties and hang-ups about sex, broken hearts, broken families. Now hear me. If if you're doing any of these things, I I am not judging. We're all sinners. I'm, I'm a huge sinner. I got all kinds of junk. I'm not judging you. This isn't about judgment. That's why we need Jesus. We're all broken sinners. And with Jesus... There is always forgiveness and there is always second chances. This is not about judging people. It's about the fact that Jesus loves us so much. He says, don't do the things that are going to cause you pain. 
If not now, then down the road. Don't settle for second, third, or fourth best. Seek my best. Now, how do we know what Jesus tells us to do and what not to do? Well, it's all in the Bible. That's why we're always encouraging you to study the Bible. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand it. So you can know what Jesus asks us to do and tells us to avoid. You know, I have had people look me straight in the eye and say, God told me to leave my spouse for this other person. I've had people say that to me. I always said, no, he didn't. And they said, well, how do you know? How do you know what God said to me? It's because it's in Scripture. And God says in Scripture, don't do that. And if it's not in Scripture, if it contradicts Scripture, you have not heard from God. Everything we need to know about how to live the abundant life is in Scripture. And it's all, it's all for our good. It's all for our good. You see, this isn't about a long list of rules that we got to keep to make God happy. This is not about rule keeping. It's not about rules at all. This is about trusting that Jesus loves us. So when he says to do something, it's for our good. It's not about rules. The reason to obey Jesus isn't about rules. The reason to obey Jesus is because we trust him, that he loves us. And what he tells us to do is for our own good. You see, Jesus is our Savior and our Lord, but you can't have one without the other. He has the right to be our Lord. We can trust him to be our Lord because he is our Savior. He died for us so we can trust him. But he cannot be our Savior unless we make him our Lord. Because he longs to save us, not just to go to heaven, but to save us from all the pain that our sin can bring. And to save us for a life full of joy that comes from following him. Now, is obeying Jesus sometimes difficult? Yes. Does it require sacrifice? Yes, sometimes. Does he tell us to do things that don't always make sense? Uh Uh-huh. Are they always for our good? Yes. There's an old story about a shipwrecked crew who'd been drifting in the sea for days off the coast of Brazil and they were dying of thirst but they didn't dare drink the salt seawater because the salt would just make it worse finally they saw a boat coming their way and they started yelling out we need water we need water the other boat yelled back well dip your bucket over the side and they thought at first that they were being mocked but when they finally did it they found that the water was fresh because they drifted into the flow of the Amazon River which carries fresh water out to sea for miles and miles and miles Sometimes Jesus tells us to do something that doesn't seem to make sense at first or that can be hard at first. Serve, give 10% of your money, forgive. But it's for our good and it will give us joy. I got an email a while back from a man who had had a falling out with a business partner over a difference in business practice and it ended their friendship. And he felt, he just this kind of wrecked him. He felt angry about it. He missed the friendship, but he never tried to do anything about it. This went on for eight years. Well, one day he was sitting in church, heard a sermon on forgiveness, realized that in the Bible, Jesus tells us to forgive others. So he left the church after the sermon, called up his friend. They got together and he said that he regretted what had happened. And he asked his friend to forgive him. Well, the friend was so blown away by this guy's courage that he would actually do that, that the friend also started to own up to his part of the conflict and ask for forgiveness. And they were able to reconcile. Eight years of a broken friendship. Eight years of avoiding each other. Eight years of bitterness and anger and indifference was wiped off the map and replaced with reconciliation and joy. This man said, I've never experienced the power of forgiveness until now. I know that God is real. Jesus tells us to forgive. This man obeyed. The result was peace and joy. What do you know? Jesus really does know best. Sort of like Mark Twain's comment, when I was 17, I thought my dad was the most ignorant man around. 
When I turned 21, I was surprised by how much he'd learned in four years. <laughs> when we do what Jesus says to do, life just gets better. There's a woman in our church in her 70s who went on a short-term mission trip to Rwanda. And the people that really got into her heart. And she kept thinking about Jesus' command in the Bible to serve others. I mean, he commands it everywhere. And she began to feel Jesus, Jesus nudging her to go live in Rwanda permanently. The word that kept coming into her head was mother and grandmother because there weren't a lot of those in Rwanda because of the genocide in 1994. So she went to live in Rwanda, not really knowing what she was going to do, just knowing it had something to do with being a grandmother figure. Have you ever heard someone say something like, you know, I don't want to get too into my religion because I'm afraid God's going to make me go be a missionary in Africa? God made her go be a missionary in Africa in her 70s, right? But it didn't make her miserable. It gave her joy. She coordinates 10 different organizations that work with street kids. All of these organizations look to her to provide leadership and vision and direction. She is having the challenge of her life. And she gets to be a grandmother figure for these street kids who don't have any family. And she gets to see Jesus turn their lives around. But also just her day-to-day -day life is this huge adventure. Just every day is an adventure for her. She sent me an email a while ago describing how every day is an adventure for her. Let me just read you part of her email. Just a slice of a day for her. She says, I've begun to learn that my little car can do almost anything. Scary though, trying out new roads, deeply rutted, muddy, narrow, steep at times. But God has completely protected me and all my passengers. Today I went to see about buying some steer manure from a lovely, well-muscled man who wears a red hat and a small t-shirt that shows off his remarkable physique. I'm sure those comments are purely aesthetic. Then he went in my car to guide me down a very steep hill to the valley where the cows are and he got me a big bag of manure. And now I have some lovely manure, surely an oxymoron, <laughs> for the beets, green peppers and carrots soon to be planted in my garden. Ephesians 3.20 comes to mind and this is all in capital. Now to him who is able to accomplish abundantly far more, I love that, abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be glory and honor, amen and amen. Does that sound like a miserable woman? Here's this woman in her 70s living in Rwanda, doing what Jesus commands to do in the Bible, serving in his name. Where even, and suddenly just going and getting manure becomes this huge adventure. Her life is on fire. What sounds like the worst thing in the world to many of us, go be a missionary in Africa for her, and God, don't worry, God's not going to send you all, just a couple of you. <laughs> for her, becomes the greatest blessing of her 70 years. Was it easy? No. Did it involve sacrifice? Of course. Following Jesus is often harder. I don't say that enough. Following Jesus is often harder. But for her, it was also bigger, better, richer, deeper, more joy-filled than if she just stayed here where it was easy. And you don't have to go to Africa to let Jesus be Lord. It can be as simple as loving your family, extending forgiveness, avoiding gossip, any of the things he tells us to do in Scripture so that we can have the joy that he came to give us. As of this week, I've been the pastor here for five years. And I think back to five years ago. Thank you. Thank you. I think back to five years ago when the committee had offered me the job and I asked for three days to pray about it. And it was 80 degrees in California in October and that just does things to a person thinking about coming to Seattle. 
And as you know, this in the story, Jesus had been very clear through audible voices and a dozen unlikely coincidences that were just too out of the ordinary to be anything else but Jesus, that we were supposed to come here. Discerning his will was not the issue. Doing it was. The thought of leaving all of our friends to go to a job I had no experience doing was, was daunting. And I remember the night before I had to call with my decision, Christina said to me, you don't have to take the job, you know. I mean, it'd be disobedient, but you disobey God all the time. <laughs> Besides, they might be relieved. Then they could get someone actually qualified for the job. <laughs> but we both knew that Jesus said, go. Would it be easier to have stayed in California? Yeah, probably. But what I would have missed... You know, every year at this time, I, just, I always take a minute just to say thank you to all of you to being, for being such a great church. And I especially want to do that this year because, you see, five years ago, I thought, if I make it to five years without getting fired, well, that'll be cool. <laughs> so I don't think I'm getting fired unless there's something I don't know about happening. And what I want to say is thank you. I know I wasn't what some of you were expecting when I showed up five years ago. And it would have been so easy for you to fold your arms and say to yourself, well, we'll see how long this lasts. But you so did the opposite. You have loved me and my family. You, you, you wanted to make it work. You were, you, you were patient with me and all my mistakes, and there'll probably be more of those. You're generous. You desperately want to make a difference for, in the world for Jesus. And most importantly, you love him. And when I am a very old man, I will be grateful for November 10th, 2002. The day you all voted to have me come and be your pastor. That God would give me this privilege and this adventure of getting to build his kingdom side by side with you. And I am so glad. I don't want to be anywhere else. I love you guys. I, you are great. And I am so glad that the Holy Spirit gave me the strength to obey Jesus and do what he said to do. My life is better because I obeyed. So where do you need to trust that Jesus is your loving Lord. And he has your best interests at heart. And where do you need to obey the things he says to do in scripture? Where do you need to say, Lord Jesus, if you say so, I will. There's a writer named Je James Edwards who tells a story some of you may have heard about a captain who was at the helm of a ship. And he saw a light on the horizon that was on a collision course with his boat. So he sent a message, change your course 10 degrees to the west. He got a reply back. No, change your course 10 degrees to the west. So he sent another message. I'm a captain in the U.S. Navy. Suggest you change your course now. Another message came back. I'm a seaman second class. I suggest you change your direction now. So he sent one final message. I command a battleship. I'm not changing course. Then he received one final message back. I oversee a lighthouse. Your call. <laughs> Here's the deal. There was a man once who stood up and said, I am the light of the world. Buddha didn't say that. Muhammad didn't say that. Jesus said it. And he promises that he can show us the way to abundant life if we will follow him as our captain and as our Lord and change course and do what he asks us to do. He's not going to force us to do that. He respects us too much to turn us into puppets. But he does invite us. And when we obey... We find joy. Jesus is the light of the world. He is Lord. 
and he knows the way. Your call. Lord Jesus, help us to obey you. Not because we want to follow rules, but because we trust that you love us. And that you tell us to do the things you tell us to do for our own good. Help us to do this and we'll give you the glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.